Howdy, Dis After Dark listeners. Toy Story Land is opening up at Hollywood Studios on June 30th. Book now for some great summer deals and to see what's new. Take a ride on the Slinky Dog Dash coaster, ride the alien swirling saucers with the kiddos, enjoy a new third track on Toy Story Mania, and grab a bite to eat at Woody's Lunchbox. Remember, if you book with me, I'll take care of your dining reservations, fast passes, and create a personalized itinerary just for you and your family. Mention this ad to get $25 off your deposit. Reduce stress by letting me do the planning for you. I make the plans, you make the memories. Find me at WPMagicJourneys.com and on social media at WPMagicJourneys. After Dark Podcast is sponsored by HHNUnofficial.com, the home of Halloween Horror Nights news and rumors all year round. Find us on the web at www.HHNUnofficial.com. So stop the fog machines and clear the cobwebs. It's time for another episode of the podcast that's nearly the same as all the others. Warning, this show contains childish adult content and is intended for immature, mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views spoken are hours and hours alone, not those of any other bugger. If you're easily offended, we strongly suggest finding another podcast. Everybody neat and pretty, then on with the show. Welcome to another edition of Diz After Dark. I am Nick, and uh, once again, I'm alone. Um, in fact, the last episode I did completely solo was one of our biggest episodes in recent history, and I decided to just sod the rest of the team off. So uh, from now on, going forward, it's just going to be uh, me. I kid. Uh, obviously, that's not the case. Um, but it just so happens that some things have been happening recently, which have meant that I've been able to interview people um and you know not had the rest of the team there um and that wasn't because we didn't need them there or want them there um people just really busy at the moment and i wanted to make sure that we were still putting out fresh content now i recorded two episodes um which will be dropping around about the same time with the same guest um we actually spoke for about three and a half hours i think in the end we had a really good conversation um and because it's so long, one, I split it up into uh, two episodes, but I've also edited those episodes down as well, because the main reason for having him on and, and what these next two episodes are going to be about are uh, disabilities and disabilities in the parks. Um, and, you know, we had conversations about other things as well, um, but I wanted to kind of focus on that. So... If you want to hear the whole conversation that we had, uh, all, all three and a bit hours of it, um, that will be going out to uh, our Patreon members um, as an exclusive, you know, 
whole podcast. Um, not doing that for, you know, to try and make people subscribe to the Patreon. It's just that um, I think that's where it would suit people better to be able to listen to that at their leisure. It's not clogging up their feed. Um, and if you donate just a, a dollar to us, you'll get access to those podcasts. So, um, you know, it, it's worthwhile doing. It's just to continue us doing the show. That's all it is. We're not making money off this to become rich or fun trips to um, theme parks. Um, you know, this is just exclusive content to thank you for supporting us and continue this show going. Um, but to the episodes that you are going to get. So this is the first part. And in this part, we are talking a more general conversation about um, disabilities in the parks and our guest has been able to visit nearly all of the Disney parks other than Shanghai so he's got a very good understanding of what it's like to be disabled in those parks and um, I'll be completely honest like I got quite emotional at times recording this podcast some of the things he, he was talking to hit home but also uh, I just found upsetting um in how people are treated and so i think these two episodes are really important so this first one is about parts in general uh, the second episode which will be following shortly after um that is focused on a recent trip that um he took to disneyland paris with his family um and about some terrible instances that um that occurred while he was there so um i wanted to split them up for that reason they're more manageable in those chunks as well because i know people don't like long podcasts so um i i, I found it really inspiring i i think you'll really enjoy them i really enjoyed recording them um and we'd love to have uh, phil on as a guest in the future we're probably going to do he suggested i think it's a great idea doing a q a um about some of the other parks because to Tokyo um, haven't been to Hong Kong so it's good to be able to ask questions that you probably wouldn't have thought about asking really so we're going to have him on as a guest at a, a later date to do a normal show uh, but for now these are two shows about disabilities and um, I hope you enjoy hello and I'm now joined by uh, a listener to the show a man named Phil. So, Phil, thank you very much for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me on. Now, I, I did kind of want to talk to you about the parks you've been to, because I think that's quite interesting, because especially for someone that's not done uh, all the parks, uh, or as many parks as you have, I think that's something interesting to talk about. But um, before we, we kind of do that, I want to kind of talk about what um, we first started talking about and what I wanted to initially get you on here for. Um, which is to talk about um, your recent experience at Disneyland Paris. Yes. Um, and I, I wondered if you wouldn't mind sharing uh, initially, um, you know, your your actual circumstance and your wife's circumstance, just to kind of give a bit of a background, um, uh, you know, in, into your world, really. Okay, so I was born with a rare kidney condition. It's called cystinuria, which is basically, in layman's terms, is I don't have the chemical inside my kidneys that breaks down dirt. So I produce um, similar to kidney stones, but jagged crystals. So where um, kidney stone passing lays on the same threshold as childbirth in pain, um, scientifically, um, passing the crystals is actually more painful because they get stuck in the tube work. 
um, because obviously everything in your body isn't smooth. It's all jagged and rigid. Um, so they get stuck in the tissue and then they cut into the tubes and get into the blood and they carry um, bacteria that then leads to kidney infection and um, my kidneys to sort of function. So I was born with that illness. I didn't have any problems with it until I was 15 years old. Um, I had my first stones, thought I was dying. Um, it's a bit like the Modern Family episode where Phil Dunphy gets a kidney stone. So I just thought I was deaf. Um, uh, due to mismanagement in the hospital, um, they put basically what they do is they drain your kidneys by inserting needles once you're awake through your back into your kidney. Um, so you're looking at about like an eight-inch needle um, goes into your back, and then it drains the fluid from the back. So I had one put in either side of my kidneys, fully awake, like no pain relief. That just happens in emergency. During, so that happened. One of the bags, the bags lock into your back. So then um, a doctor who's now been struck off tried to remove one of my bags without unlocking it. On the right side, tore my kidney in half. And it leads me to have like no function on one side of my body. So I only have one kidney that I rely on. But that function is incredibly low. To this date or time of recording, I've had, I'm 32 now. I've had 17 operations on my kidney to remove stones, either going up through my man parts or through my back. Um, I'm having another one Wednesday, and I've naturally passed 220 kidney stones. Jeez. Uh, the record being I've passed over, I think it was 42 in one, like, hour period. So most people, if you ever meet someone that had one, They'll tell you it's the worst thing that's ever happened to them in their life. But I pass on average two to three a year um, now because I'm, I'm now being managed by a specialist team and there's things put in place to try and help me manage it. But that's like just it. So, but and also, and then uh, in my early 20s, I this is tied back to Disney. I was went to Disney. Um, I passed a kidney stone in Epcot and thought, oh, that's kind of fine. But it led to an infection because it had cut me. Um, I ended up in an American hospital for two weeks, uh, ended up addicted to morphine because of that, flew home, uh, throwing up, sweating, was taken off of the runway in an ambulance, and I kind of have a, remem a memory of being brought back to life with a defibrillator. So because I, what happened is I'd got scepters from the stone. So that's kind of like the day-to-day. -day. So what I have to do is I take um, a lot of medication for blood pressure and various other things um, that try, tries to control it, but it's never going away. So it, it's pretty much like constant agony on one side of my body. So it's a bit like the reverse of being paralyzed. So whereas like you lose your limb and it feel like you don't feel it, I'm constantly aware that I've got a kidney. Um, which is quite a strange feeling. And um, I was talking to my sister-in-law, very similar to like what she felt like when she was pregnant, like very aware there's something there. Mm. So like just moving. So that's my situation. So because of that, I qualify as a guest assistance pass or green pass or whatever. Disney calls it whatever given time um, that they, they, that's whatever they refer to it as. So that's kind of my like a brief rundown of what I'm coping with. And then meanwhile, my wife, has got a illness called endometriosis, which basically means that the lining of the uterus is on the outside or can receive through to the outside. So 
um, her symptoms are very similar to like period cramps, but intense. But endometriosis works as a spectrum. So because hers wasn't discovered until she was in her 20s, her organs are fused together. So the blood has like laid out on her uterus and worked almost like glue and glued her organs together. So she has like um, laser surgery to remove that lining, but it grows back because um, I guess it's like a membrane, so it will grow onto it. But um, she has like the constant pain of um, it's like back pain, but similar to any woman who's listening that's had period cramps, she it'd be like your worst day of your period cramps all the time, mm-hmm. and she bleeds regularly. So it's not like a very like nice topic to talk about, but she has that. Um, and then we've done a lot of research into it about other women that have it. And what you do, there's no cure for endometriosis. Well, there is, but the the cure is basically you have a hysterectomy. Mm. So if you want to cure yourself of this and you're like 17, you have to come to the fact, the realisation that you can't have children of naturally. So that's like what we battle with at the moment is starting a family because it would be difficult anyway and then my illness is genetic but then also the cure for my wife is hysterectomy. So it's a very hard thing to talk about um, because you're literally trying to talk about your future all the time or think are you aware of that all the time so it's a it's a it's a tricky thing um but yeah that's it so some women have endometriosis and don't suffer as bad others suffer worse uh some women die from it so that's the, the two illnesses that we have well well i mean i appreciate you you know sharing that information because um you know, I, I, I'd like to think many people listening to this aren't um, able to um, relate to it too much because you know it sounds it sounds horrific. I mean, one sounds horrific, um, but for you both to be suffering with with two illnesses like that, um, I mean, your day to day lives must be quite a struggle. Yeah, I mean, we don't work. Um, we do work. We work very hard, but we don't work nine to fives because of it. Yeah. So there's not like it. I don't. It doesn't matter who the employer is, but no organisation is ever going to be 100 percent happy with the amount of time that I personally have to have off of work. Like, and it's of like it happens within seconds. So I I used to work as a waiter, and I'd be carrying drinks over and collapse onto the floor. Um, and then you're not just collapsing onto the floor; you're also like possibly pissing yourself um, or bleeding. Um, there's like from those parts so it's like a horrible embarrassing illness but then also it's like you know i'll be at my desk and collapse in pain or start screaming and that and it comes on suddenly and it is like being sh- like kicked in the back as like you know or punched in the back by mike tyson someone said to me once um and it's a sudden pain like you vomit with it and and it's an extreme pain um and then it's weeks and weeks so like this current bout i had when I was on my last trip, got ill. Um, my I had kidney failure once I was there. Um, managed to kind of like champion through it. Managed to, like we got home, just took a lot of heavy painkillers, and then like that night brushed to hospital, like blue lights. Um, and that's the other thing. It's not like that going to at like A and E every single time. It's ambulances out, gas and air, morphine, um, and it's a 
you're you've got a small window or my wife's got a small window to save my life every time so it's not it's not like I mean I never would ever belittle anyone else's illness but it's not the same as like you can sense it coming on mm. and you're like oh you know I need to go and see a doctor I should go to the GP or I should go and get checked and also because it's such a rare illness no one in the NHS really cared about it so nobody knows what it is so it's also a constant battle to where you are in the country or where you are in the world to get them to listen to what that you like like my wife knows more than the doctor does, um, or who she's speaking to. So tell them the right drugs and what they need to do. And tend, you know, it tends to be that doctors don't like being told that. Um, from my experience, they don't like being told what to do by someone. Um, and trying to get them to get in touch with my specialist team. So for me, like, yeah, it, it's that kind of like a job just doesn't work, um, or a job, a traditional job doesn't work. So we run our own business because, like, I don't want <laughs> we wouldn't survive on disabled income. So we, yeah, we work. Um, and then it's just like you can't plan things. Like, you know, I passed a huge kidney stone when we went to Japan um, and I felt the pain coming on literally in the airport lounge. And I said to my wife, like, I, I kept, like, kind of quiet about it. And then on the plane, I was like, I need to take, like, coding. I need to knock myself out because I'm in agony. And she was like, we're on a 16-hour flight. Are you kidding me? And, like, you know, going to Florida and getting ill. Like, you can't plan your life. So, like, planning things like a wedding and whatever, for me, was just a nightmare of, like, anxiety. Of, like, well, what if you spend all this money? And then, like, the day before I'm ill. Or during it. So it's like you're constantly waiting for something to happen. So it is, it's like it's a battle from kind of both sides. I mean, I think it's, I think it's amazing that, considering the conditions that you both have, that you're still, you've still got that drive to do what you do. Like a lot of yeah. people would kind of just roll over and kind of go, "Life's dealt me this hand, and you know I don't want to go on." Or I have these dreams, but I don't want to do them. And sure, I mean that's a lot of that mm. is inspired by Walt Disney, the like the man. Yeah. So like. You know, like Roy Disney was ill, had, um, polio, I think. Um, and obviously Lillian had miscarriages. Um, and, you know, there was a drive and in Walt, and Walt was ill, like he had his polo injury. Um, and it, it was that inspiration. But also, it's a really like thing and like, it, it's like something you can't explain. But once you've potentially died and come back to life, um, or... Uh, like, you know, I was told by a consultant, don't buy any long playing records. Um, don't start reading any books. Kind of um, attitude. You've got that in your head that you probably might not graduate from uni. Or you won't see your 30s. Then it is really easy to be driven to do stuff. Because you're literally, it's so cliche, but you are living every day like it's your last so, like, I do have a fuck it attitude to everything. So, like, even in our business, we've worked with, like, some famous people and done things that people would be like, oh, that's really weird. Like, how do you get that opportunity? Because I'm quite happy just to email people. Because what's the worst that's going to happen? Mm. Because the worst has happened. So it is that kind of, I think the drive is there. Like, I really appreciate you kind of seeing it. 
Um, but yeah, that kind of the passion to do stuff does come from being ill. Um, and it is, like you say, it's a different way of looking at it rather than, woe is me, my life is awful. Um, what's, the, what's the point that we try and like find the point in living? Yeah. Like a bit like, like to me, life's too short to be sitting watching the E4 repeats of the Big Bang Theory every night. Um, I just, you know, it's, and things we used to do, I now kind of think like, oh, that was a waste of time. Shouldn't have done that. Like, now, the idea of going on like a beach holiday scares the life out of me. Because <laughs> I wouldn't, like, what a waste of time. Like, there's so much, like... My, my little brother just come back from like a resort holiday for his honeymoon and he went to Disney World and Barbados and stuff and I just said, I, we were talking about it and I said like, oh, I just can't imagine going to Caribbean Island for a week and just sitting in like a resort, like just looking at what what did you do and he's like relaxed and what's funny is my little brother has the same illness. <laughs> so, and he's just come out of hospital and it's just so funny because he's just got, he's, he's had it since he was 10 um, but he used to go to Great Ormond Street and he had a horrendous time as a child. But he's got the whole opposite look to me of just like, I just want peace in my life. Like, I, I've got this. So I just want to have like a steady job. <laughs> and just like, like, he has operations and goes to work the next day to keep his job. Mm. Like, he, he's phenomenal. Like, the way that he deals with it, I, I couldn't. So, but he, like I say, he's dealt with it for 10 years longer than me. So he's got a different mindset mm. so yeah no it is um that's what we try and do i mean not to um not to belittle what you just said there but i i really sympathize with, with what you just said there about on the beach holidays because when we went on our honeymoon we went to um we had two weeks uh in orlando and we booked a week at clearwater mm-hmm. um with it being you know two weeks of like the theme park thing and a week at the beach we lasted two days. We were so bored. Uh, sorry, three days. We were so bored. By day three, we checked out of the hotel and went back and found a hotel on iDrive. And spent the remaining days there because, uh, you know, like you, I just can't sit there. I, I need to be doing something. I can't just sit there and, and not do anything. I need to be doing something. Um, but that's not through... Uh, you know a major illness that's just through my own my own corrupt brain but um yeah i i, I couldn't do that either um now you've you said you've used this passion to to go around the world uh, and when we were talking during the week you were saying to me about um the parts you you have been to i think you've only not been to shanghai Shang- yeah hand on shanghai but on purpose okay no, we don't want to go that that is on the list 100 mm-hmm. percent. but we've got friends there who um, we love um, and desperately want to go and see them there. Um, but the issue that we've had with all the parks is the construction situation. So we know that there's stuff happening at Shanghai and stuff like they've just opened Toy Story Land. So if we go, we're probably going once mm-hmm. for Shanghai. Like we say that, like we fell in love with some of the others, but like for Shanghai, it's probably be a once in a lifetime trip mainly because of my illness and the air condition. Mm. So, and and if anything happened, Chinese hospitals might be hard to communicate with. Yeah, yeah, just just a bit. Yeah, so like for us, it probably will be once and done. Um, 
So you want to go there when it's at like a peak to go there, if that makes sense. Like I want to go to Tokyo this year when half the attractions are closed and they're building the Beauty and the Beast stuff because there's landmark attractions that aren't open for a big part of the year. And so for us, we planned everything on like when is a peak, where are we going to get the most out of it? Yeah. So we managed, I think, to do all the parks without any refurbs apart from Disneyland as well. Disneyland, Disneyland seems to be a hard one for that. There always seems to be something that they're, they're rehabbing. Like everyone that I know that's been there, I'll say to them, oh, did you get to go on Indiana Jones? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we, we did that. Oh, what about Haunted Mansion? Oh, no, that was down. Well, it'll be vice versa. Like there's always one of the major attractions that is u- n- not necessarily unique, but, you know, like with Haunted Mansion, you might be going there when it's uh, not before Christmas, but then sure. you won't get on Indiana Jones because that's down, or Roger Rabbit's down, or. Yeah, so we had the river to contend with and redoing the river of Star Wars Land, so right. we managed to do it so it was only the Liberty Bell and the train were down. That's which good. Was a play But the train, you could it was open, they had it stationed, so you could still go on it, and the Liberty Bell, so you could still go on them. Right. And, like, experience it. Oh, it's not, it's the Mark Twain, sorry. Um, the Mark Twain and, uh, yeah, the train, so you could actually go on and talk to, like, the operators and staff and take pictures. So, like, still kind of experienced it. Um, the only other thing, I'm trying to think of anything else that was down when we were at Disneyland. Oh, Fantasmic. Okay. Which for us was a massive kick because mm. we're huge Fantasmic fans and that's meant to be the best one. I've heard that as well. I've heard yeah. that actually, yeah. Yeah, Tokyo's is by far the worst. Oh, oh. like Tokyo's is shit. Mm. Pro- proper shit as well. <laughs> Not like, even just a little fraction. <laughs> oh my God, it is like Disneyland Paris quality. Like, it is shit. Like, for Tokyo as well. Like, to be fair, though, it was snowing when we saw it, and it was about two degrees. So it may have been, like, a like limited version of it. Right. But, like, it was shit. Like, stitches on a jet ski at one point. Like, absolute shit. I, I, I couldn't, like, we were there for the four days, and on, like, the other chance of watching it, and it's, like, literally our favourite thing. And we were like, nah, done. Don't you see that again? That, I mean, I'm a massive Stitch fan. Even I don't want to see Stitch on a jet ski. An angel in a speedboat. Yeah, no, that's yeah. that's getting onto bullseye territory. I can't be having yeah, speedboats around. No, um, it was a little bit, um, what's the word? Uh, it was a little like kawaii. Right, okay. Call it. Like, it was just a bit like, yeah, it was shit. <laughs> so with your conditions... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you don't mind me asking, h- how hard is it for you to you know, forget about the the pass situation? We'll get onto that in a second. But yeah, just yeah. just naturally getting around the parks, you know, how easy is it for you? Do you need to have like mobility assistance, or are you able to kind of walk? Do you want me to like? Should we like? If we not ignore Paris, but like, should I like? Do you want to talk about each one because they're all like different? How they? Yeah, it's, like, I mean, what, what, whatever sort of. So, yeah, so Hong Kong was awful because it was 95, no, 98% humidity, um, oh. super hot. And it's the only time I ever had to go back to the resort to like sleep um, because it was just too hot. And like part of my condition, I have to drink four litres of water a day. Mm-hmm. And I was drinking like six, seven. Wow. So peeing constantly, um, which is difficult. Um, it's an incredibly small park, but... The other bonus of Hong, the thing Hong Kong has over everyone else is there's no wait times, apart from for Winnie the Pooh. 
um, which is the same, similar to the Disney World version. Oh. But everything else, apart from that, Dumbo were walk-ons for the entire time we were there. So, like, Mystic Manor, we were looping it. And, like, by no by no cues, I don't even mean, like, like literally, we were the only people on the ride. Um, so, there was a 45-minute wait for Pooh, a two-and-a-half-hour wait to meet Mickey Mouse, and Mystic Manor, Grizzly, Gulch, all that stuff, no lines. Jeez. So, the stuff we went there to do... We could just keep doing it, and so we would go early in the morning, like we would any other park. So we always drop drop. That's like the one thing about my illness is that I get up all through the night to go to the toilet, and then like so I'm up early in the morning. So we go up early and we go out, and then we kind of finished before most people, and then we try and go back for the evening and stuff. Um, but like for Hong Kong, I had to literally go back to the hotel because it was too hot. But yeah, that was like that kind of their experience there so it was like easy to get on the rides but hot um didn't use any disabled access because we didn't need to um in tokyo we had the weirdest experience of our lives because we were during february which is like a quiet time uh, for them just after new year and we were the only white people in tokyo disneyland for the four days that we were there um and the japanese guests were happy to just let us walk on the rides and all the meet and greets when they push and like they don't push and shove because they're so polite they stand around in a circle and the characters pick you but the Japanese people were all like pointing towards me and my wife to like get the characters to come to us um so you know that that was our experience there that it was just easy these parks are massive but there's so many benches you have to sit to watch all the parades and shows um everyone just sits down like the fireworks, you just all sit down. So for me, it was an absolute dream. <laughs> because it was just like, we didn't use any assistance passes because the guests were just so friendly towards us. Um, even queuing for food, people just let us go ahead of them. It was just weird. It was just absolutely insane. It's also the only place I've ever been considered attractive. <laughs> like Japanese girls just absolutely loved me. So that was... Um, yeah, my wife was really angry about it. And she hates it because I tell people all the time they look at her, at her as if to say, you tell the truth? And she has to be like, yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> um, they like, would come, like they were crossing the road to come and ask to take pictures with me. It was like, it's so weird, but we were literally the only white people there. We kept give, getting given free stuff. We, got, we were upgraded to the presidential suite in our hotel. <laughs> like, honestly, like, we checked in and were like, oh, we've got a special room for you. And on our last night, we... Um, we stayed at the hotel from Lost in Translation. Okay. And um, my wife's a massive fan. And um, they asked us about why we chose it. Because that, the Japanese always want to know, like, why you've chosen it. Because they love, like, what they love Westerners. Mm. And they like good services. Like, they're amazing. And the guy at check was like, why have you chosen to stay here? And my wife said, oh, Lost in Translation. He was like, oh, I've got a special treat for you. And they gave us the actual room Bill Murray has. Wow. Yeah, so, like, I've got pictures, you know, like the like famous scenes of like Scarlet sitting in the window looking out at Tokyo mm. and Fuji I've got pictures of my wife reenacting the film it's mental like it's absolute like we took pictures of me on the bed like in the slippers like the poster like if you do, they're mats and like that was like in- incredible flying was a pain but I if I'm being candid I take painkillers and sleeping tablets I take what I call it my wife gets angry but I call it the Heath Ledger cocktail knock myself out for flights mm-hmm. so I just sleep so that wasn't a problem uh, Disney World is our hardest one 
because the way they run their guest assistant system isn't very good. Um, so our problem there is, so my, the reason that I need a guest assistance pass is because of going to the toilet constantly. Yeah. So if you're standing in line and all of a sudden you need the toilet, I can't hold, like literally I cannot hold it. So it's, you, I'll wet myself. So I don't get the sensation like most people get of like, oh, my bladder's filling up. I might need the toilet, that, that tickly feeling. All of a sudden it comes on and it's bursting for the toilet. So you wouldn't be able to like hold it, hold it through the attraction and go to the toilet. It's like, I need to leave the line. Yeah. And it happens. And before we knew about assistance passes, this used to happen at like the gates to get on fundamentally. Mm. And I'd be like, right, I've got to go. And my wife would be like, right, so I'm riding along then. And she'd already be in the vehicle. And I'd have to go out like the exits. So, um, but the issue we have in Florida is it's really hot, really humid. So I'm drinking a lot of water. And then also, what you do there, I don't know if you've ever used it, but you basically, you take your magic band and you say to the attendant, can I have a return time for this attraction, please? So say, for example, Flight of Passage. Um, and he'll say, okay, it's the wait time minus 10 minutes, I think. Scan your magic band and then you return back at that time and go through the fast pass queue. Perfect for most disabilities. And it works really well in places like Eventland because what you can do is you could get your return time for Splash Mountain and then do some like, go back and do like Pirates, Tiki Room, Jungle Cruise and then say, oh, half an hour's passed. But we're not so rigid. So we sometimes will get a return time and not go back for like four hours. Um, so we're not in anyone's way. So like that's, that's the way we use it. So we'll just do some stuff steady at my pace. I keep going to the toilet. And then when I've emptied my bladder, we go to where we've got the return button for. Mm-hmm. So perfectly. Where it fails is Epcot. Because if you're at like the land, right? So you come out and go, oh, we should do test track, but it's a massively long way. So you walk all the way over there and then you get a return time and then you have to go and find something to do within that area until my bladder empties, which could be hours. So we walk off and then you have to walk all the way back over to Epcot. So then you're knackered in the heat. Mm. And also it might be time to go to the toilet again. So it's like you, for Epcot, it just doesn't work. It's like, it's so we just don't use it. It's um, so that's the thing with, with the green pass. And you see a lot of moaning on the internet about people that use it. What we tend to do is use it where it works. And if it doesn't, we just don't, we, we're not going to like rock the boat about it. Mm. Which is like, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. So nine out of 10 times we don't use them. Like we'll get a time, but we never turn up. So like we literally are like the dream guess of it. Disneyland have got the best system. What you do there is it's the same, exactly the same as Disney World, but you can get a return time from any cast member for any attraction. So rather than saying going to like Test Track, getting one from them and then going back to Test Track, at Disneyland you could be in Disneyland at like the furthest attraction from the entrance would be like the submarines. So you're in Tomorrowland submarines and you could say, can I have a return time for cars, radiator springs? And the girl will say, oh yeah, it's in 20 minutes. And by the time you've walked over there, you can just ride the ride. So you can walk over there, have something to eat, empty your bladder, make sure you're drinking lots, and then ride the attraction. So you're not doing the back and forth like you are at Disney World. Yeah. So Disneyland's one seems to be a lot friendlier to like, because I guess it's a locals mm. park. So it, it kind of is more friendlier to a wider range of disabilities. 
whereas Disneyland one is more the aspect of a virtual queue. So you're sitting and waiting for your time. That's what they kind of expect from you. But for us, that could be sitting and waiting for five hours because it's a gamble. Mm. So it, it doesn't work for my needs necessarily all the time. In the Magic Kingdom and Animal Kingdom, it works perfectly. And I have no complaints about it. So that kind of in touring, that's, yeah, that's the kind of the difference between all of them. They just all have their ups and their downs with being disabled. Um, but then the other thing that I know you'll find interesting is the fact that mine, our, both of our disabilities are hidden disabilities. So from the outside, we look perfectly quite, like, you know, quote unquote normal. And that is a real strange thing in Florida. In California, no one says a thing, but we get a lot of um, abuse in Florida. Um, especially, but not so much now because you're just scanning a fast pass. Mm. So it's like you've got a fast pass for the attraction. But when it used to be the get out a piece of paper and have it signed and the green pass, you get like we used to get yelled at by people. Um, I think the, the problem is, and I mean, you know, I've not, I'm yet to experience any of this kind of stuff myself. Um, and as I've talked about in the podcast before, my son is um, severely autistic. <clears throat> so we've not, when, when uh, my wife um, last went, um, last year with my mother-in-law, he hadn't had a diagnosis at that point. So we assumed that he had something like that wrong with him but we weren't entirely sure so obviously uh, there was nothing they could do and um you know it was a bit of a struggle for them because he's non-verbal um he he, he finds it very hard to understand things um so that, you know you try and explain things to him but he just really struggles to comprehend what you're what you're saying and why you're doing stuff so you know if if he's in uh you know complacent mindset and you're you have to stand somewhere he's completely fine but if he's not, you know, why am I standing? You know, he wants to, he wants, to, he can see where he wants to go. He wants to go there. And, and, you know, why are you putting me back? You know, you can't explain any of this stuff to him because he doesn't understand it and he can't communicate with you. So it's, it's very difficult. Um, and my, and I've said this to my wife before, like when I've taken um, the kids out, even just into town, and I've done things with them. Um, and sometimes, he gets very agitated and so um you know he'll start having you know what people would perceive as like a meltdown now i know it's not a meltdown um but that is the perception of it mm-hmm. and without t- you know without having a big sign that says my son's autistic or something like that um people will just judge you and people yeah. will say things that, and you know most of the time it's probably under their breath or you know with me you know i look and i just see looks that people are giving me and that's the thing. And, you know, sometimes with looks, you think, well, is it just because you're getting paranoid or are they actually doing it? You don't, you don't really know. But I think what I'm trying to kind of get at is that, especially with these kind of things where you get this assistance, um, and let's not, let's not forget as well, you don't just walk up to, to a Disney park, into a Disney park and say, I'm, I'm disabled and need a pass. Oh, you do at Disney World. Okay. In Florida, in Florida and California state law, they cannot question you. Really? To the point, two years ago, a cast member did question me. His manager ran over, more or less shoved him away from the desk, 
and they compensated our entire trip and gave me and my wife $2,000. Jesus. Okay, well, I kind of tell it like a little bit. By our trip, they didn't comp our trip. They moved us from Old Key West to um, Riverside, like both the, because we were there with my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, both families. They comped us, uh, gave us gift cards with $2,000, um, and then paid for some, like, I think they took us to, like, the fireworks party at Epcot. Right. Yeah, like, so there it's, they can't, in California, they ask you why you need one. Mm-hmm. Like, they can't ask you what your disability is, but they'll say, like, they'll ask you if you know about the fast pass system, and right. do you know about this, and da da da, and try and, like, educate you not to need it. Yeah. And the difference is, they're going to give people them for their annual pass for the entire year. Mm. Much more than Disney World is. Disney World, like, we've had it. Both ways, we've had people, we've walked in and said, um, can I look at the, I need the assistance pass, you know, the medical, and they've gone, oh, well, don't, don't tell me anything. Um, do you, have you got, you know, about Fast Pass Plus? Yes. But it doesn't work for my condition. Okay, here it is. In other times, I've literally, last trip we went there, we were there in November, start of November, and last year, I walked into City Hall at 8am, um, we were on the way to our BL guest reservation, and I stopped in and I said to the guy at the counter, who do I speak to about um, guest assistant passes? And he said, oh, no, me, I can do that. And he literally just said, is that she with you? Let me scan your bands. That was it. Wow. There's no screening process other than Paris. Um, Tokyo, I think, asked for a doctor's note. Hong Kong, I think they just give it to you. Okay, well... Shanghai, I have no... I don't... I, I would imagine the Chinese government don't really do much for disabilities. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine well, the other thing is there's not really disabled people. But I'm, I'm sure there are, but Tokyo, I didn't see any disabled people. Mm-hmm. Or I didn't see, oh, that sounds terrible because of what I just said, but I didn't see any wheelchair users the yes. entire time there. I didn't see anybody in EPCs. I didn't see anyone on crutches. I didn't see anyone going through the exit. So I don't know. I mean, they have the best, one of the best healthcare systems in the world. Yes. So maybe they don't have such a problem in Japan. And also the Japanese are very open-minded. Mm. They don't need them. They're willing to let white people just go through the queue and they let elderly people through the queues. Mm. Maybe they're just a bit more compassionate. It's a different, yeah. And I, I mean, it's a different I, culture. I was going to say the, the culture seems to be completely, I have a completely different mindset to, to most cultures. It's, it's fascinating to me that um, Japan itself seems to have this kind of almost obsession with the West. And mm-hmm. yet, I think we could all learn a lot more from their culture than they could ever take away from ours, yeah, uh, they, to be honest. They too keen on me and my wife uh, covered in tattoos. Well, uh, okay, yes, that is... Uh, other than yeah. that, they just... Yeah, fair enough. Um, but, okay, so we'll ignore what I just said about parts <laughs> in general, but um, Disneyland Paris especially is one that... Um, they do ask you, and, and it's something that they are changing at the moment, um, but it's always been a thing where there, there's certain things that they will accept and certain things that they won't accept. So uh, one of the things I know that a lot of UK people do is they go to a doctor's and they have to pay for a doctor's note, which can cost, you know, various That's, money yes. um, because they all charge different amounts. There's no kind of <laughs> set amount. Um, and they need to have a letter that's dated and stamped within three months of, of your trip to go and uh, to kind of get yourself a pass. Sure. Um, I, I think the, the the main thing, and I said that this isn't because I've experienced it myself yet, and it's something that I'm fearful of that I will have to experience at some point, is what you discussed there about um, 
how people were with you in, in Disney World. Because we have been in queues in Disneyland Paris. And we noticed it on the last trip that we had together. Now, at that point, our son was probably about a year and a half, I think. He wasn't particularly old. But we knew at that point that uh, something wasn't the same with him as it was our daughter. He, he was very behind the milestones. And there was various things that we were concerned about with his development. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry? How old is he? Uh, he's now three and a half. Okay. Yeah, he's come up to four this year. Um, and, you know, we would be queuing up for stuff. And, and we were queuing up for, I think it was Minnie Mouse, just at the top of Main Street. Um, and um, and somebody had gone up to the front with a pass. And there was a, a woman about two or three people down that started kicking off because somebody had gone to the front of the line. We, you know, no, the queue's here. Look, you know, we're all queuing up here. And she's like, oh no, it's like, I've got this pass. And then she was muttering under her breath. Um, and I don't know what it was. She was, you know, I didn't hear exactly what she was muttering, but I like, you know, to me, if you're, you don't, you don't just queue jump like that. Do you know what I mean? You, you know, there's got to be a reason why, right? And then mm. somebody who looked very sick, a child that looked very sick in a wheelchair was wheeled to the front, mm-hmm. right? So it was very clear that that's what the situation was. And yet people were still kind of giving looks and trying to work out why those people were going to be seen next. Because they've been queuing up for 20 minutes. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. at that point, I mean, I've, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy to say, hand on heart, I've never been in the queue and wondered why somebody's jumped in front of me. I've never been that petty about stuff. But at that exact point, when I thought there could be something wrong with my son, and and luckily, you know, God forbid it was ever as as bad as that situation, but um, where I'd need to be in that situation and might have to do something similar, I thought I'm now going to experience people judging. Yeah, yeah, judgment. Yeah, you do. Like, so I'll, just three quick things. Like I'll mention on like that point is that number one, I think anybody, as I mean, especially myself, because I speak from my own experience with a disability would trade it to Q. Mm-hmm. Like, the, we've had women, like, I had a woman literally yelling in my face at Toy Story Mania about how, like, you know, I was jumping the line or whatever. And I just tend to try and ignore people. It's not worth the conversation. Mm. But I would give anything to swap. Like, if anyone wants to come to me and say, oh, you get to go on rides. <laughs> oh, you're so lucky you get to go to the front of lines like you yeah like you get to be not in pain all the time and spend 40 pounds a month from um medication and prescriptions and you get to like you know plan your life like that's not something a disabled person gets the benefit of doing mm. um so i would trade with anyone um and i'd happily stand in line and be well um and then also what a lot of people forget is, is that the guess is pass isn't just there for the disabled person it's there for the guests as well so you might like especially like the way Paris do it going through the exit your children might become aware of a horrible side of life so I remember my little brother being eight years old in Disney World and we saw a make-a-wish kid who was clearly dying of cancer meeting a bunch of like the popular characters at the time in front of the castle and my little brother walked past and said oh look isn't he lucky 
And my dad had to have a conversation with him about how he was dying of cancer and he wasn't lucky, you know, and to educate an eight-year-old. You might see someone like dying of AIDS, which isn't a, a particularly pretty sight for a child to see. You might, in my situation, see a grown man piss themselves. Or I might get onto a ride and piss myself and the ride goes down for two hours as they clean it. It's not necessarily there to protect the disabled person. A lot of it is to protect the families who are there on their trip because you're there on your once-in-a-lifetime magical trip to escape the reality of life. So a lot of people don't see that side of it. And my third point would be that, and this is a point I've made when people um, have called, like, said things, you know, whether it's online or in the parks, and if I've ever got to a point where someone's made a comment, like if I one time I was sitting in the disabled seat in for the parade and a woman made a comment as she walked past, I could be dead soon. So then you can have my spot in the line. You'll still be going to the parks. My wife will be putting me in a hole in the ground. So she probably won't be coming as well after her husband's died. So, you know, maybe, you know, us taking up two seats on Thunder Mountain isn't the worst thing in the world because you can come back again. But that person who's jumped the line might not see tomorrow. So what's what's the and also you're talking about like you know you're talking about people say about this jumping lines and stuff, but like what are they adding to the queue time? Twenty seconds. Like Jesus, like. Imagine the time, like, little kiddies spending in hospital waiting rooms or putting, like, you know, in operations or parents spend travelling to see their sick children or adults going, like myself, going back and forth, like, I'm having an operation tomorrow. That's eight hours of my life gone. I, I think people were very, like, precious over the 20 seconds they might wait later for a Toy Story Mania or for a meet and greet. Like, it really is, like, a case of go over it. Sorry, I, uh, <laughs> I, it's just when you when you kind of put it like that, it it really just just beggars belief why people get the way that they do. Um, well, I'll tell you a good example of the like protecting the public. One disability that goes through guest assistance are people with Tourette's. So imagine the people that complain and picture them in your head and imagine them kicking off when their kids are exposed to the words that people with Tourette's often come out with. Mm. Like, it's not just there for the guest, for the, the disabled guest. Although sometimes you do, uh, the words that come out of the person that feels that someone's abusing the Green Pass system is probably not that dissimilar to what somebody with Tourette's pro- might actually come out with. It's probably not. Um, it's, yeah, it's there. It's there to protect and to make a happy, magical experience for everyone. There is another side to it. It just makes me so sad um, with what you just said there about it because, as I said, like... I'm quite lucky in that with, you know, autism is, is nothing like what you suffer with or it's nothing as bad as cancer or anything like that. It, you know, there's lots of terrible things that we have to kind of go through, but it's not life and death. It's just a terrible, um, it's just a terrible situation and just trying to get through it on a day to day, like any kind of disability like that is, is really hard. Like, so when I started talking to you, um, or before we started recording, I said to you, my wife was out, 
she was cutting uh, our friend's hair. She's a mobile hairdresser. She was cutting her hair, having some dinner. Put the kids to bed. We have to give, at the moment, we have to give some medication to my son to get him to try and go to sleep. He probably sleeps about four hours a day, uh, four hours a night. Mm-hmm. It's probably about as, as much sleep as he'll get. Because when he wakes up, he'll either wake up for an hour and go back to sleep again, or he'll wake up and he'll just be awake as if the day has started for him. Yeah. Um, I, I might be able to sleep in the same bed as my wife once a week if I'm lucky, because if I'm not doing, you know, if I'm not recording a podcast or something, she'll be in bed by nine o'clock because he doesn't go to bed by himself. He needs someone to go to bed with him. So she'll go up and she has to settle him, even with the medication. And by the time that's happened, um, he might have woken up for the first time and got into to bed with her. And it, you know, it, it's too cramped. So I just sleep in his bed. And it's just one of those things. Like I just, you just get, you just accept it. That is how life is now. So that's it. So our whole dynamic has changed because of that. Because when something, when anything like that affects your life, you have to just adapt to it. And the thing is, people don't understand that. People, you know, if you turn around and say, oh yeah, you know, this is our son and, and he's autistic and, you know, he's non-verbal and this, that and the other. People go, oh, you know, that's a shame. And they probably think nothing else of it. Because they don't understand what happens on a day-to-day basis. Or no, that it happens every day. And that yeah, that is now your life. But that's the thing that, like, so one of the funny, like, me and my wife, we joke about this a lot. Like, it's uh, like we've both got quite dark humor. My wife sadly lost her mum when she was 23. Um, so, and I lost a brother young. So we've got quite, developed quite this dark coping mechanism mm-hmm. with our humor. And when we were looking through the guest system at the past at Paris, because it's still a piece of green paper, mm-hmm. um, it's got a list of all the reasons you can have it on the back. And one of them is guests with no one arm. Um, like guests with no arms and guests with one arm. And we were saying to ourselves, like, you know, like, why, if you've got one arm, can't you stand in a line? Like, what on earth would be stopping you? Like, a prosthetic leg obviously rubs against the joint and would be painful. But if you just got one arm, and it was like one hand is one of the reasons. And we were saying, like, one-handed people, like, why wouldn't you be able to wait in the line? Like, it's strange, isn't it? Like, that, we were talking about, like, that was an odd thing. And then I said to my wife, it's the similar thing, isn't it? It's the, what you go through every day. Try your arm behind you. Like, well, actually, my wife said this to me because she's more thoughtful than I am. She said, tie your arm behind your back and try and make a cup of tea. Or you do that one-handed. Try and do anything for the day. Like, so it's a little bit of respite. Like, it's like a bonus. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like, be fucking deal. You've had, like, you know what I mean? Like, you don't know what people are going through and the pain they're going through. And also, you don't know why that person maybe lost a limb or is handicapped. Like, yeah, they might have been fighting for our freedoms, you know, or, you know, blown up or blown up in a terrorist attack. Like, you don't know what they've gone through. You don't know that there's also not a mental burden on that person. So, from the outside, like, we've heard people say it as well. Like, oh, why can someone, like, we were at, I think at Christmas, we went to the Mickey, like, Santa Me, and someone there was with there with one arm. And we were, like, sniggering because, obviously, we had that discussion. And we were like, oh, that's strange because we've now seen, like, a, a one-armed person 
in the disabled, like how strange, like we were talking about how old that is. And as we walked through that Mickey line, every single person commented on it. Like literally every single person was going like under their breath, like, oh, why can't they wait? What's the big deal? Why can't they wait? You know, um, but you don't know what that person's going through. No. And um, you don't, like maybe they're in intense pain because of it. Like, I don't know, because I don't, I have both my arms, luckily. Yeah. Like one of them is uh, like blind people get to use the guest assistance, which again seems strange because there's no reason why a blind person can't necessarily wait in line. But then you have to think about the fact that what if they're there by themselves? Yeah. What if they're there? What if like the um, sensory around them in crowds is too much and they need to be able to focus on one voice and go into a quiet area? So like when you look through the list, there obviously is a reason why everybody needs um, help. But again, it's like, well, if a person with one arm is walking through, what if a kid says something? What if someone points at him? And then that's ruined his trip, hasn't it? Yeah. Like, you know, a kid innocently asks a question. Like, you know, kids do. Um, but, you know, it's protecting everybody. It's protecting a parent from an awkward conversation. Yeah. So... I do think people get very self-centered on the like, oh, it's brilliant for disabled. It's brilliant being disabled. Like, we've got people that say to us like, oh, we love going with you, or we'd only ever go with you because of you know this, and you, we can use your pass and stuff. And yeah, it's a bonus. Like, like I'm not ever going to lie, it's a bonus, but it's like a tiny little bonus in the rest of my life. Yeah. And I think that's what people forget. Like you say, it's a daily struggle. Yeah. And you don't, and as you say, you don't know without being in that person's shoes. You don't know how much of a struggle it is or it isn't. Um, I mean, we did, you know, we, we talked about um, trying to go to Orlando again um, mm -hmm. because we've not been since our honeymoon, and obviously we've started a family since then, um, and you know, financials and everything like that. It just, it just hasn't happened, and we're we're going to probably wait now until Star Wars. But we did, you know, we did show you have a week and said, well. At least, you know, we won't have to worry about queues as much as we would have done normally. But yeah. the thing is, yeah, you know what? We won't have to wait for queues. But what we will have to worry about is a child that doesn't understand what's going on, that doesn't deal with crowds very well, doesn't deal with noise very well. My daughter is also, although she's not um, diagnosed as, as autistic, she has um, issues with being in a... Um, a very noisy area and very noisy place. Um, so like we've, we've got uh, some, um, some headphones, but right. none of that stuff is fun. So the thing is, yeah, okay, that's great. We can go to the front of the line of a ride. So we'd have to wait for like four hours in the heat, but we've got to deal with all the other stuff the rest of the time. And on top of that, we've also got to deal with the judgmental people that have no idea what's going on and why you're getting this lucky thing. And also you will experience similar to our experience with that is that when you're there and it's sensory and everything, um, and for me it's the heat, mm. is that you aren't in the parks all day. You can't be. Like, and it's not like, so, it, like, I listen to people who do podcasts and they say, like, oh, when they, all, when they get on the Magical Express, there's always something they didn't do and they regret. But they didn't do that due to their own laziness or bad planning. Like, there's things I get on there and go, oh, I didn't do so-and-so because I'm too sick to stay in the park to do it. Or my wife's, with her illness, is in pain. So we go back to the resort. 
Mm. Like it's not like an I want like and nobody wants to sit. Like well, it is nice. Like you know, we were at Animal Kingdom Lodge last time. No one, you know, it's not like we're sitting around by the portal. We're sitting in the aircon watching. You know, um, uh, what's her name? Um, Judge Judy. No, uh, Stacey Aswad. Oh, right. yeah. yes, yes, yes. Like, that's the thing, like, you're back there doing that. Like, when we were last in Paris, we didn't stay for the fireworks because we couldn't. Not because we didn't want to. Mm. You know? And I was saying to my wife, because we took my one-year-old niece there for her first trip, and my brother and sister-in-law hadn't seen illuminations, and I actually said, oh, look, I'll rent a wheelchair, and we'll do it, and we'll stay. And everyone's going, no, 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 we, it's, we need to go back, you know? Because... Mm. You can't, you know, it's colder, and we need to go back. Like, it's not about you wanting, it's a need. Mm. So that is it. So you've got limited time. So all these people that get so irate about it don't realise, like, sometimes we go into the parks at 10 for rope drop, and we leave at 12, and then we go back again at 6 o'clock in the evening. That's the whole day that they haven't got me there pushing in front of them. Yeah. Like, it's mental. Like, it's absolutely mental that you would ever have that. And I kind of see it at Paris because they let you use the Green Pass for meet and greets, which you don't, you can't do that at the other parks. The only way to meet and greets is Make-A-Wish Children. So even, like, Mickey or Tinkerbell, the Fast Pass ones, won't let you do it there. That's, um, that's Make-A-Wish only. But I think the other thing as well, and and this is my view on it, and I'm not going to talk about a little Twitter storm that, kicked off the other day because people have still got their knickers in a twist about that whether I think I'm right or wrong and whether you agree with me on that <laughs> whether I'm right or wrong on that as well but um, the, the, the fact is is that it's not for anybody else to judge about who gets a pass because no one that goes there no main, no like paying member of the public that goes to any Disney park anywhere in the world decides who does or doesn't get an access pass that is down to Disney so mm-hmm. you can't sit there and decide well that person doesn't deserve one for this reason like you know we talked about you know the, the one arm or the you know the, the no eyes um, or no hand or whatever you know other things were on that list and, and you know whether or not that's right or wrong but at the end of the day that is down to them that is their discretion and if they feel that you have something that wants you to have something to let's not beat around the bush that makes your holiday be the best it can be with the limited things that you can or can't do then that's for them to decide not for Joe Bloggs to decide because they've got a queue for another two minutes but you know what this comes from I've been visiting the park since 94 and this culture and this this way of being has arisen from the internet and bloggers and vloggers so what has happened is is where you used to just go and like I think the longest we ever queued was an hour for Back to the Future because it just opened mm-hmm. you used to just go and you dealt with it there was no fast passes everyone just got on the meet and greets weren't mobbed people like you know just got about because you weren't taking pictures just to upload to Instagram and whatever the difference is is that now everyone's got a list of if I don't do these things that this vlogger or blogger or whatever has told me that I need to do, my trip is ruined. Mm-hmm. So if you think of like the reason people run to Flight of Passage and run to Toy Story Mania is because they're the top of everyone's lists that they post on the internet. So when someone sees you getting going before them, 
they're frustrated because now it's like, well, I've got to get out for this time. I've got to get to this. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. And it's that want, 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 need, need culture that the uh, blogging and blogging community has created. So, like, you know, if I don't do this and get a picture in front of a purple wall, I haven't been to Disney World. People <laughs> must see what I've done. Like, that's, the, that's now the attitude. Whereas before, it was about spending time with your family and being off your phone. And now the Wi-Fi, you know, in the parks is more prevalent. But I just find it so weird. And I, I, this is the thing that baffles me so much, is you go to this happy, magical place and you go on, like, it's a small world and you're learning about, you know, all the cultures of the world or, you know, whatever. And you're at the escapism going back to your childhood. And then all of a sudden you're, you resort to ableism as quick as possible. And it's so odd. And it's, it feels more jarring in Disney. Like, we use, I guess, assistance part at Universal. No one's ever said a thing to us. Like, we've never had dirty looks. No one's made a comment. It's just kind of just fine. Everyone gets along. But at Disney... You're in the way of someone's perfect vacation. How dare you? I need to be doing this. Or like, you know, if you get to use it and it's like an event, like D23 or whatever, you um, you know, there's someone there who wants to be the first person in and you're going to be the first person because you're disabled and their trip's ruined. But like, it's all a lot of bollocks, isn't it, really? Because it's like, um, you know, whatever, like fan days this weekend. I didn't go. But I could post a picture of myself at the studios from a trip and go, oh, I was the first person in. Who's going to say I wasn't? <laughs> like, honestly, who's going to say, oh, no, you weren't? I was. Because then you just retort with my bollocks, I was. I'm, I'm the biggest fan because I was the first person. I was on the phone first. I was the first person to buy a ticket. Who gives a fuck? Like, really? Like, who really, who honestly gives a fuck? Like, it doesn't matter. It, it's so benign to be bothered about this kind of petty stuff. But you get these people that, and they're in Florida, they're normally English, who are really bothered that you might, your experience somehow might be better than what they're doing. Why haven't they got that thing? And why aren't they there? And oh, what are those people doing? Rather than being like, oh, what are we doing as a family? And what a nice time I'm having. Like they're always looking for the next thing. Like the amount of people that have come up to us and said to my wife, like, oh, where do you get your many years from? And then she said Tokyo, and they've actually gone, like, oh, sorry. I, I don't know what people want you to say. Like, you know, I'll have mine. Like, I, I just don't get it. So it's like, because you might have something they don't have or doing something they're not doing, and that's that internet culture, that Instagram culture of look at me, look at me, I'm the best, I'm a bigger fan, I'm a bigger fan than you. I, I know more about Disney than you. I, I, I got... 100% of all the quizzes on BuzzFeed. I'm the best. <laughs> look at me, look at me, look at me. And, like, we notice it more and more at Disney, at Disney World the most. Everyone's vlogging. Yeah. Like, it's it. Everybody, no one's, like, in the moment. Everyone is just doing it for likes or for validation. And you think, like, why are you here? Like, we went to, this is so, like, just on a tangent, we went uh, to the D23 tour of the Disney Studios in Burbank. And part of it was we got to go into Walt's office. And it was incredible. And at the end of it, there was a guy there, and he was obviously in a John Lasseter shirt, because they all have to wear them, um, and, you know, whatever, and all these Disney pins. And he was kicking off 
because part of it was we were meant to get our photo in the office and the group after us did get pictures and we weren't, we were like, they weren't going to let us go back in and do it. Why does it matter? You know, you did it. You saw it with your own eyes. Why do you need like, and he actually said, and he was, he was American and he actually said, I need that picture to post on Instagram. (laughs) Why? Why does he need it to post on Instagram? Why, like, they let us take pictures in there. Like, he could take a selfie, but he needed a picture of him standing at Walt's desk so he could show people he was a bigger fan than them or he's done something they haven't done. And once we were on the tour, we were a group of ten people and eight of them were blogging. They weren't listening to the tour guide. We met... um, Oh, this is embarrassing because I should know his name. Uh, the Disney legend who runs the archives. Not Len, not Len Morton, is it? Um, well, boy. Oh, God. It's, that's a, we better hand in our, our Disney cards. Yeah, no, not big enough fans. No, he, um, <laughs> I know, well, he met the bloke as well. Um, but he, um, he wrote the A to Z on Disney book. Um, but anyway, we met him. And... He was happy, happy to sign autographs and talk and chat with us and shine us stuff in the archives. And people literally were vlogging it and not listening to what he was saying. And he'd worked with, like, you know, with Walt. And was telling us these stories about how, you know, the archives came to be. And people were more interested in vlogging it than listening. It's so and, it's, and that is the culture. So when you're saying about people saying, like, oh, one, you know, you're pushing in, that's the culture that you're contending with is the um, me now list. And because people can't wait for anything nowadays, because we grew up waiting to get your film developed, waiting for a film to come out in the cinema, waiting for the VHS release, you know, no one can wait for anything anymore. Everything has to be now and instant. We, we do yeah. live. Yeah. No, we do live in a time where, well, I mean, I remember when Netflix first launched in the UK and I was like, this is a bit, Odd. I don't know it's going to take off. Yeah. Now, I mean, everyone uses Netflix or uses someone's Netflix account at least. Um, <laughs> you know, me and Craig. Uh, so I don't. I, I talked about it a little bit earlier before we started recording. But last year, me and Craig went to Halloween Horror Nights for the weekend. No, hang on. You haven't mentioned that on the podcast before. <laughs> exactly. It's a you know obviously a very stupid thing to do because no normal sane person would do it. But we did it. Because we, you know, because he asked me to go and we thought it'd be good to record some stuff while we was out there. We just thought it'd be, while we're queuing up for stuff, it'd be fun to do. But we clearly didn't record everything that we were there, like, while we were there. Because you're not really enjoying it. Like, you know, we were trying to just record ourselves just talking as we were waiting, so it seemed quite natural. Mm-hmm. But you're right in that you do see people where they are just the world is going on around them and they're not paying attention. You know, we have um, Luke who does our YouTube videos, um, mainly at Universal. Now, he go, he's able to go to the parts whenever he wants. So, for him, it's like the back of his hand in, almost in a way anyway. So, if he's doing stuff like that, it doesn't really matter too much. But these people, you know, a lot of people save up for years and years to go on these trips and then, as soon as something happens, the iPad comes out. Like, I've not seen um, Happily Ever After in real life. I've seen, obviously, the video of it. I wasn't there. I've not been there since it's, it's, it started. 
But yeah, it's, it's, shit. <laughs> it's just in dreams on acid, isn't it? It's no, like, it's not. It's not even that. No, that's good. Absolute shite. But as soon as that comes on, or as soon as uh, Disney Illuminations or Disney Dreams come on, or whatever, whenever the fireworks come on, everyone is either sat down or stood up, and everyone's normal. And then as soon as the show starts, everyone pulls out an iPad, and then you're not watching the show; you're watching it through an iPad. You know what's like? It's interesting. Um, I, you know, I know this is a bit of a tangent from the topic, but my uh, from on what you're saying, I will never forget my dad telling me that when he got back, when we went to Disney World in '94, '98, and then 2000, 2001, 2002, because my parents, my mum, got obsessed with like going after the Millennium celebrations. Well, we was like in '98, she was like, "We've got to come for the Millennium," and then like we just kept going from then. Mm. But in 98, I remember my dad saying, wow, everything looks amazing. It's amazing. Look at the castle. And I said to him, and I was like 12, and I said, Dad, were you like, were you like four years ago? He was like, yeah, but I filmed it all, and I thought the castle was about like four mil high because I saw everything for a viewfinder. <laughs> right? And I always I thought to myself like that, like saying it, like how many people, like back then, like my dad, I, it was more or less like my dad had a camera on his shoulder, which he more yeah. or less but chest in the side of and I think my brother more I, I mean I, it sounds like you're making this up my oldest brother operated the boom with a Walkman like on his belt doing the audio that is actually how we went and we weren't the only people walking around like that and my oh. dad filmed my dad filmed every attraction so we've got Horizons World in Motion like literally filmed every attraction and show so we've got hours and hours of cassette that no one's ever looked at ever, like apart from me as the like family geek mm. of the original, like you know, Dreamfinder and Figment. But my dad just recorded it all. He recorded Muppet Vision. <laughs> Can't even see it. <laughs> but he sat and recorded it all because he thought we were never coming back again. Yeah. And he had to document it all. He's like the Louis Farouk of Disney World. <laughs> so like mental. Like he filmed all the villa, like every single detail he filmed. We were out eating in Denny's. He would film the whole meal. Because he never thought he was going back. I think he filmed like four hours of the flight. <laughs> it's mental, absolutely mental. I have to say, when um, Phil at the beginning of that interview described his condition as as um, creating some kind of uh, kidney crystals, I did think to say to him, "It is the worst mutant power I've ever heard," um, and I think he'd have taken that in good faith. Um, I, you know, I. I Truly inspiring. I, I really can't begin to comprehend what it must be like on a day-to-day basis suffering with a condition like that. Um, so, uh, you know, so glad he could come on and talk to us about it. Um, so that's the end of this episode. So a new episode will be following just after this one, part two. Uh, and this talks specifically about um, a recent incident that happened in Disneyland Paris. And I know that we do have some listeners who really don't care about Disneyland Paris, and, and I get that. But this this is about a, a situation which could happen to you, and I think it's really, really important um, that you listen to that episode and, and understand what happened there. Um, and also, if anyone can help in any way um, with what he talks about, please get in touch because... Um, you know, it would be really beneficial to to feel if you could do that. Um, thank you for listening. Um, and don't worry because after the next episode, and you've listened to that, I'm not going to be on the next few episodes of Dad 
as a treat to you listeners who don't want to hear my voice anymore. So uh, thank you, and uh, I'll catch you on the next episode. Hello there, dear listener. Now, have you ever listened to a podcast and thought, I'd really like to support those guys, but I just don't know how to do it? (laughs) Well, then you're in luck. There are now two ways for you to be able to support us. The first is by going to our Spreadshirt page at shop.spreadshirt.co.uk forward slash After Dark Network. Here you can pick up t-shirts for all of the podcasts that we do. The other way is by visiting us at patreon.com forward slash disafterdark. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash disafterdark. Any money raised by buying some merchandise or pledging your support on Patreon means that we can keep producing more content for the After Dark Network. On behalf of the other After Dark Podcast Network hosts, we thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it and thank you for your continued support. Podcast is part of the After Dark Podcast.